In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. That's John, chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them in that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let's all rise in reverence to the word of God. Let's read together. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of boots was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Praise God for the reading of his word. We may now be seated. The title of today's message is Tension from his brothers based on John chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Some Jewish fanatics continued to search for him with the intent to kill. Thus, Jesus stayed in Galilee instead of Judea. The Feast of Booths was nearing, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish people observed this feast to commemorate when their ancestors left Egypt, then set up tents to temporarily dwell in. His brothers asked him to go to Judea to display his works. It sounded like a mild challenge or a veiled mockery. Take note that they did not believe in him yet. And we know that after his resurrection, a few of them became his apostles. And we also know that James wrote the book of James, and that James was a brother of Christ. The other one was Jude, a shorter letter. They presumed that Jesus wanted to be known openly. They thought it was about fame. Thus, they told him to show himself openly. But we know Christ's sole intent is to do the Father's will. Let's read verses 1 to 5. After this, 
Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see, also see, also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Let's go to the main text. Can you give me the other mic, please? Thank you. First point, the Lord Jesus has a different timing. The Son of God explained that His time has not yet come and why the world hates him. The reason is he speaks against evil. Jesus contrasted with his brother's situation, which could also be a veiled response to the mockery. So the brothers is saying, why don't you go up there? If you want to be known, you should be there and display what you can do. For they did not believe in him yet. Sort of you might be thinking they seem to be promoters. But if you look carefully, it is a veiled mockery. And some of you friends do that to each other. I'd like to see you try. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that it work, its works are evil. Now, after reading this, or when we read this, we might see that verse 6 is a difficult verse to interpret if we do not read the context. It says here, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What does that mean? Now, do not try to interpret the text apart from its context. The clues we see of what this means, we would see in verse 7, the world cannot hate you, and that is the clue. Your time is here because the world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Now, we can also understand when he said, my time is not yet come, is because there were those seeking to kill him. That will eventually happen, but now is not the time. Therefore, he must evade 
These killers for now. He must wait for the perfect time that the scriptures must be fulfilled. And what did we study last Sunday and the Sundays after that? There is one who must betray him, one who is among the twelve. That was prophesied in the Old Testament, and the apostles believed it. We read that in Acts chapter 1, that it must be fulfilled. The timing must be right, and he's saying, now is not the time for me, but you. Who hates you? Now, Jesus was responding It almost sounds like a mockery as well. Because <laughs> you, nobody hates you because you don't say anything about what's wrong, what's evil. That's why nobody hates you. So in a way, there was, this was a fun conversation to listen to. How one would say something almost not to offend, but in a veiled mockery, mildly offending, and Jesus mildly responding and turning around the argument against them as well. It is like the t-shirt I saw once upon a time. Ikaw din tita tumaba. Because titas like to criticize the younger folks because they think you're so young and you're fat already, but somehow the young ones want to retort back, but that's not veiled, that was open. Veiled would be, you look healthier today. <laughs> now that can mean two things. He was saying your time now seems good because the world does not hate you. But you know, and we know, that the time of some of his brothers would come that the world will hate them as well because they would believe in Jesus. And once they believe, then they will proclaim the gospel. And what would happen? They will experience persecution as well. Their time will come. Now, it's not yet. May I make a side note? Has the world ever hated you because you proclaimed the gospel in its purity? If you have not experienced that, I want to say... Your time will come, but some of you have been waiting. Your time has never come because you never proclaim the gospel, which makes me ask, are you, do you truly believe? Because one who believes will overflow with the message of the gospel. Others have just changed religion. They do not truly believe. Different timing. Now is not the time. Even though you want me to go, now is not the time. Now, let me go to the second point. Different approaches means the brothers were thinking of one approach. Jesus was thinking of another approach. Let us read verses 8 to 10. And Jesus said to them, you go up to the feast... I am not going up to this feast. Take note, because if you do not 
take note of the word this, you will misunderstand what will happen next. You go up to the feast, I am not going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he's, he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Now, pause and let's look at the text carefully. Jesus told them to go up to the feast, but he mentioned that he was not going to this feast. He would later go up, but not to partake in the festivities. There's no record of that, but to teach at the temple. You will read that in the later verses. He would be teaching at the temple. He would go up privately to avoid the Jews who wanted to kill him because it was not time to die. It was not yet time to die. So let me try to use a modern, using modern, a modern situation to make us understand what this means. So there's a person who was born in Naga City who lives in Metro Manila. And then there's a reunion of relatives. And that will be happening, coinciding with the fiesta dates. There was a reunion. But this person who lives in Naga, who was born in Naga, but lives in Manila right now, he was asked, are you going to the feast? He was going home, but he's not going to the feast. He was not going to that feast. He was going to another feast. And that is the feast of what? The reunion of relatives. Which means, why is he not going to this feast? Well, he doesn't believe in the feast. He believes there is only one that we must honor, high above all else. There is no other name except the name that we may be saved, and that is the name Jesus Christ. He also does not believe in following around statues and paying homage to it. And they say it's not worship, we're just following a statue. So he's not going to the feast, but he's going home at the schedule of the feast. So clearly, the Lord will be going up privately because the feast was a public thing. He would be going up privately, and then at the right time, he will speak at the temple. And when he goes to the temple, nobody could just kill him. In the feast, things might go wrong because there were Jews who wanted to kill him. Haven't you noticed since before, quite few months now, they've been wanting to kill him. A while ago, I found it amusing and funny. Brother Eddie mentioned that, oh, we miss Jesus. We really want to kill him, you know? So these people may have missed him publicly, and they're finding, looking for the opportunity to kill. But it will not happen because it's not yet time. Now, let us not forget to note the language the author used in chapter 1. Verse 14, take note, John is very consistent. What he started 
The themes he started in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, or, or up to 18, he would continue the elements of that theme throughout John. And as we've been preaching Sunday after Sunday, we've been referring to chapter 1 because that is the prologue. And if you know what the prologue is, it's like the abstract for those of you in research. It's like the abstract of a journal article or a thesis. It's like the overview of the whole text. And what do we see in chapter 1, verse 14? It was about the Word becoming flesh, and He dwelt. Uh, he dwelt, and we discussed in that sermon that what? The Word dwelt there. The Greek word for that is tabernacle. The Feast of Booth is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. What was John referring to? The one who truly tabernacled among us, God himself, we did not recognize. Yet they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you remember, they tabernacled or set up tents when they left Egypt. But after that, they were sentenced by God or disciplined by God. Allow me to use the word disciplined. Let me change the word sentence. But disciplined by God to roam the desert, the wilderness for 40 years. And they lived in tents. And there was no temple of God then. There was what we call the tabernacle, which we have discussed for more than two years in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle, the tent, the great tent of worship where the presence of God would dwell, and the furnitures that were commissioned by God was there as symbols of worship. And it's an irony that the one who tabernacled among men is the one that they are trying to kill. And John is still consistent with that in chapter 1. He came to his own, but his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. Now, when John says the Jews, he's not saying ev literally every Jew. Take note, be careful of the language that is used here. When he says the Jews, he's not literally saying all the Jews because Jesus had believers who were Jewish. That included his apostles, his disciples. Again, let's be careful how we, it's called usage. How do you use a word? It's not literally dictionary meaning always. And I keep saying this since the start of this series. We use it, for example, here when we call a friend who's not yet there, but everybody's there except that friend. And we say, everybody's here. That is actually not an accurate statement because when you say everybody, it means then he or she should be there also. When you say everybody's here, you mean everybody's here except you. When you say it's full, maybe that's not always true because I see a few vacant seats here. It looks full, but it's not really full. So when he says the Jews, it's not literally 100% of the Jews trying to kill him. But we know there's a select group who are fanatics seeking to kill him. 
Now, there were different reactions. But before I move forward, some of you might be having this thought, oh, he has brothers. Now, when we read scripture, we have to know when it's a metaphor and when it is literal. Correct. When we hear somebody say, he sounded like a pig when he snored, it's a metaphor, correct? He is not a pig. Is that a clear? He just sounded like one. That is a metaphor. So when you read something, don't say, huh, she married a pig? It is not literal. It's a metaphor. And they're tying, this is literal because he says, didn't say his, his brothers in arms, his brothers who are his disciples as well. It was talking about his brothers. And that would be consistent again and again and again, not only in the book of John. You'll see that in the other Gospels and in the book of Acts, stating that he has brothers, which meant that there was a virgin birth, but after that, she gave birth to other siblings of the Lord. And we know that at least two of their names would be James and Jude. Let us move on. Now, there were different reactions. We go now to the feasts. The Jews who wanted to kill him searched for him at, in the feast, but he was not there to enjoy the feast. He would later go to the temple to teach. The people had mixed statements about him. Some believe he was a good man and others otherwise. Let's read verses 11 to 13. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Many would rather not say anything because of fear. Of what? The religious fanatics. Some believed him to be good and some say he was leading them astray. But some would rather not say. I think it's still the same today. Some of us would say, yes, he finished the work and we will proclaim it. Some would say otherwise, that is not true. That Jesus is not true. And there are those who would rather not speak. Application, number one, know God's timing. The brothers misunderstood Jesus. They perceived that Jesus wants to be or wanted to be known, but we know that the Lord does not need self-promotion. He came to preach, to die and rise again. It is the Father who would make him known 
through the witnesses, through his disciples who will spread the word. Now we are living in a time and season where we must keep proclaiming. That is our timing. The timing is what? When Jesus said that what? That we must proclaim in every nation, in every ethne. You are witnesses to these things of the suffering, death, and resurrection. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Another version, which is in Matthew, that was in Luke that I mentioned to you. The other would say, go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts, you would say, you are my witnesses, to, to just paraphrase it, to the ends of the earth. What is the timing for us? The timing for us is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many ways you can do it. You can invite them here. You can invite them to a growth group. You can set up a moment where you can have coffee and invite a friend who can somehow befriend those people and connect them and who, those who can explain the gospel clearly. And we must give time for that because now is the season for that. After we are gone, or let's just say after we expire, and we will all expire. And if your faith is genuine by the grace of God, you shall be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But when you are there, you can no longer share the gospel. No more. You can worship forever. But you can no longer proclaim. The time to proclaim is now. Number two, we must proclaim against sin. This is very uncomfortable. The world hated Jesus because he spoke against sin. We should preach against sin and also acknowledge our own guilt. Let me include that because we are not Jesus. We do not have that high moral standing. All we can say is we are wretched sinners as well. The sins we have committed makes us guilty and we have to tell people makes you guilty as well. And that is why we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us because we cannot transform ourselves. We are guilty, yet we celebrate the forgiveness we have in Christ Jesus. If we never proclaim against sin, then the world will not hate us. They will be very comfortable with us. One thing I have observed for those who grew in the Lord and remained faithful to the Lord, somehow some of their friends become, their attention builds. And some of you have experienced this, you're no longer invited they may not be saying it out loud, but somehow the change in you is something they do not like. You're not necessarily judging them, but just by living the gospel, it makes some people uncomfortable. But if you are still comfortable with them and they are comfortable with you, maybe it's time to proclaim the gospel. Maybe it is time to share, 
to them who Jesus Christ is. But some will not do it because of fear to be ostracized, to be mocked like the brothers of Christ mocked him. To be out of place. But if your place is in Christ, you are never out of place in him. But if you are sometimes out of place in this world, I would like to congratulate you, not because you are weird, but because you stand up for the gospel of Christ. And lastly, believe in him. There were mixed reactions about Jesus. Now, what would be our reaction to his words? The best response is to believe in him. Because like as Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, his words are spirit and they are life. And I'd like to say as well that we listen to his words and we study his words carefully. But let us be careful not to put our own meaning to his words. And that is why we must be contextual students of the word, not taking a word or a phrase outside how it was written by the author, but seeing it as it is, getting clues from the context, not just what you feel like immediately saying. We take the time to study. We take the time to learn. And sometimes it's not as difficult as studying Greek. It's as simple as carefully you looking at the words that the author used and use those same words. Some of us have to use Christian cliches. I say to you, when you're discussing John 7, use the words of John 7. If you're sharing John 6, use the words of John 6. And if ever you're going to use other words, it is to make it clear, not because you have a cliche. One example of a cliche is, cliches are not necessarily bad. We're just saying it's not accurate. For example, cleanliness is next to godliness. I really don't see that in scripture, but I promote cleanliness. Is that clear? God helps those who help themselves. Will you stop saying that? What do you use? What do you use? It is wise to work hard. That is according to Proverbs. According to Ecclesiastes, what your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Stop the cliches and go to the scriptures. They asked Peter in Acts, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. What do you say if people say to you, what shall we do to be saved? Come and pray this prayer after me. That is not there. Use the words of scripture because we are safer and more accurate because the words, the words, his words, they are life. But if you add your words, that's not necessarily life. But if you explain the same things, that is fine. So I share to you right now 
a poem entitled No Mixed Reactions. His brother said, go up the feast and display your works there at least. Show them your works and be well known. That was not the Lord's intention. He would go up, but not to feast. Privately went to keep the peace, not to celebrate, but to teach at the temple people to reach. The intent of some was to kill, and it seemed they could not sit still. Some mixed reactions from the crowd for fear. Some would not speak out loud. But we know on whom we believe. His every word we do receive. No mixed emotions on our part. We will follow and not depart. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. A simple part of the narrative, yet we know that every line is important. We believe in, we believe in your word. We believe that it, is, it was your Holy Spirit that inspired the writers to write. And it is the Holy Spirit who continues to teach us. Thank you, Lord. May our stance be firm. May our faith be firm. Knowing in who He is and what we believe in. He is the Son of God. The Holy One of God. The Chosen One. The Son of Man. The One who is Sovereign. The One who will rule a kingdom that will never end. He is Messiah, yet He is our Lord. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all, and God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you all. And before you go, please. Greet one another, get to know some people, get their first names, just say hello. 